Morning, everybody. Morning. Hope you all enjoyed your extra hour of sleep. So, you know, it's, it's, nice. it's nice when you get up, like I do at around 6 in the morning, to see the sun starting to come up instead of pitch darkness. But, you know, there's, there's the price to pay for that. And if, uh, if I'm not careful to finish on time, we're all going to be going out to the parking lot in the dark. So, you know. So. <laughs> I found this. That's maybe there are some people who like it. I don't know, <laughs> but I'm not a big fan. Uh, you know, I've been up here teaching the last three time change Sundays in a row. I was I was here spring ahead. I was here last fall back. So if you find me reusing material, if you've got a mind like a steel trap, and you remember everything I said last fall. And I'm saying the same things, I, I apologize. <laughs> but, you know, I think there's a reason that I'm, I'm teaching all these time change Sundays in a row. I think Pastor Rich is timing his vacations in order to try and get me into the Guinness Book of World Records. Because there, there has to be a record for most consecutive time change Sunday sermons given by an occasional speaker. <laughs> right? I mean, there's a record for farthest arrow shot with your feet. It's 40 feet. Not 40 feet used to shoot the arrow, but 40 feet the arrow went. There's also a record for most tricks done in a minute by a pig. It's 13. 13 tricks. That's a very talented pig. So March 10th next year, if I'm up here, that's four in a row. And we'll call the Guinness folks and see if there's anybody who's got me beat. If I'm not up here and the streak dies at three, then I'm going to get a pig and try and teach you some tricks. So the simpler, the simpler explanation than this ridiculous idea is that uh, God is just giving me uh, a gift-wrapped thing to talk about to start these messages with you, which is very nice of him. I appreciate that. Thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, it can be hard to get going unless you have some topic of conversation to open it up with. Uh, so I've had those three time change Sundays in a row. I've also done a lesson on the Super Bowl Sunday, and I've done a lesson on Mother's Day most recently. So God's always giving me something to talk about, so I'm very thankful for that. Um, but today, let's get into the Word uh, while the daylight lasts, right? <laughs> so if you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 10. I know that's not what my slide says. That's a, that's a recap slide. So... John chapter 10. You know, over the last few weeks, Pastor Rich has been giving some great messages from Psalm 23. Um, and do any of you have it memorized yet? I know he asked everybody to memorize it. Anybody? Hands? Memorized? Wow. You're lucky he's not here. <laughs> no quiz today, but you never know. Next week could be the week. Calls everybody up here and makes them do it. <laughs> so, the reason for the detour, of course, from John chapter 10, which we've been studying, to Psalm 23 is the relation of Jesus being our shepherd and Psalm 23 being uh, about the shepherd, about David saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And so, they go hand in hand, they, they go together very well, uh, and it's a great psalm to memorize, all of you. And also a great psalm to study and just, uh, just uh, think about how, how God takes care of us. Um, last week, Pastor Rich gave 
uh, a lesson on part of verse 4. That's, that's real Pastor Rich style right there, is to do a lesson on part of verse 4, which was, for you are with me. And I, I joke that he can do a lesson on part of verse 4, but it was a great message, and I, I really enjoyed it. It's a great reminder that God is with us as believers. Um, and that same message is found in one of my favorite verses, Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And you know, this verse appeals to a lot of people and and a lot of guys, it seems, because of the strong and courageous part. It's it's got that kind of macho feel to it. I've seen it like tattooed across someone's bicep a lot of times. Uh, But really, it's not about our own strength. It's about the strength we get from God being with us. It's his strength that we get from him. Um... But this week, you know, last week we learned about how God is with us. This week, I'm, I'm going to talk about something that Jesus didn't do with us, but something Jesus did for us. Something that he did for us we could never do for ourselves. Uh, and what he did for us was that he laid down his life for us. Only he could do that. So, let's read verses 11 to 18 together. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. Let's pray. Lord, we do just thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that as we study it together, you would just speak to us by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would speak through me and uh, just... Help me to deliver the message you've given me to your people. And I just pray, Lord, that as we read and and look at what you've done for us, that we would all draw closer to you. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. So right off the bat, let me tell you, there are eight verses here that I cannot possibly cover everything there is to cover about this. There are so many things and so many directions we could go with this. Um, We have the contrast between the shepherd and the hired hand. We have the wolves. We have the other sheep in other pens. Spoiler alert, that's us as Gentiles, unless there are any Jews here. Um, There's a lot of things we could cover, and all of them may still be covered later. You know, in 2020, when Pastor Rich finishes up Psalm 23, or (laughs) next March, when I'm back up here again, I could cover some of those things. Um, but we're not going to cover all of them today, and we couldn't possibly because it, we've, there's just too much there. Um, what I'm going to talk about today, Jesus says five times in this section that he lays his life down for his sheep. He says it five times, and that to me shows us that we really need to pay attention. He's not going to repeat himself for no reason. And this idea that Jesus laid his life down for the sheep, the sheep are us, is just so quintessential to what it means to be a believer in Jesus. It's so, so much everything we need is in that he took our place and died for us. Uh, to receive salvation, we, we can't do it without that, without Jesus dying for us, without him laying down his life. And so this is just central to, to our faith. Um, 
And so I think that's one topic we can cover today, and I can't cover everything about that topic even. We could talk about this for weeks, uh, but we're going to try. And, you know, immediately before Jesus declared himself as the good shepherd, he said he was the gate. And we talked a couple weeks ago before the Psalm 23 lessons that uh, it's possible to be both the shepherd and the gate, the gate that we must enter through, because the shepherd in uh, those times would sit in the gate and become the gate himself. As the sheep entered through, he would keep them in there and he would protect them that way. He would take this place of the door in the sheepfold. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through will be saved. And then in verse 10, he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, both of these things, both Jesus being the gate that we must enter through and be saved and Jesus giving us life to the full depend completely upon him laying down his life for us. He needed to do that in order for us to have these things, for us to be able to enter through the gate, for us to be able to have life and have it to the full. And so what we've been talking about depends and revolves around this idea that Jesus laid down his life for us. That was his plan to do so all along. I think the idea of laying down one's life for someone else is um, kind of hard for us to get a realistic grasp on. You know, it doesn't really happen in everyday life that someone lays down their life for someone else, just completely sacrifices themselves for someone else, uh, willingly and planned ahead. Um, you know, it happens in movies, right? It happens in uh, TV shows a lot. Uh, it's very dramatic, and it makes for a good story. Um, and I think the reason for that is that despite the fact that, uh, you know, Hollywood as a whole has tried to uh, turn their back on God and, and what his truth says and what is right and wrong in his word, uh, people are still drawn to that idea of someone laying down their life for someone else. Even though the world, by and large, doesn't want to hear from Jesus, they're drawn to what he's done for us that he laid his life down for us. And, you know, the world wants to ignore and fight against God, but yet still somehow they're drawn to what he did for us, that he laid his life down. And so you see this appearing in stories, uh, in movies, in TV shows. But when does it happen in reality that someone makes a plan to lay down their life for somebody else? I think we need to recognize that there's a difference between risking your life for someone else and laying it down completely. You know, there are many who risk their lives for uh, others every day. And they certainly deserve our, our gratitude. You know, we have our armed forces who right now are in harm's way to protect us and uh, protect the freedom we have to meet here. And, and so I'm very thankful for them. We have law enforcement who maintain law and order. That's, that's Officer Curley from Warwick in case. <laughs> huh? Dino? Okay, I was wrong. And then we have firefighters who, you know, will rush into a burning building to save someone who's uh, in danger. And so those people, of course, are admirable and do, a very, do very risky things in order to protect others. And sometimes they do give their lives for someone else. Uh, but that's, that's a risk they take as, as a, that they've decided to take on and not a plan to lay down their lives as Jesus did for us. You know, once I was in a car accident uh, on 95 in the middle of the night in Providence. And uh, when my car came to a stop after spinning around 360 degrees, I found myself up against the Jersey barrier in the high speed lane, and I was fine. I was a little confused about what just happened. And the next thing you know, I had someone 
pulling me out of my car and helping me across the highway. Someone who had taken the risk to park in the breakdown lane and cross three or four lanes of high-speed traffic to make sure that I was okay. And I never learned that man's name. But everything was just such a blur and so confusing. You know, I, did, I was perfectly fine, but, but uh, he wanted to make sure I was fine. And so I'm thankful for that. He risked his life for me. And we even have some examples of shepherds who would risk their lives for their sheep. Matthew Henry said, It is the property of every good shepherd to hazard and expose his life for the sheep. Jacob did so when he would go through such a fatigue to attend them. And he was referring to Genesis 31.40, where Jacob told his father-in-law Laban about the hardships he had endured. He said, This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. Now, maybe heat exhaustion, exposure, and sleep deprivation aren't life-threatening enough for you. If that's the case, why don't we look at King David? There he is. King David in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he was volunteering to go fight Goliath, the giant. And he gave something of a resume to King Saul about why he'd be able to do it. It says, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. That's, now, that's impressive shepherding. I, I'm amazed. You know. I, if it wasn't you know, a biblical truth, I would be tempted to think that he made that up. You know? <laughs> but in both situations, and in all these real-life situations we're talking about where people risk their lives for us, it's, it's a risk. It's not a plan to lay down our life. You know, even the best of shepherds, even King David would not lay down in front of a lion or bear and say, take me instead, you know? He might risk fighting the lion and the bear and came out on the winning end of that, but uh, he wouldn't take the sheep's place willingly, as Jesus did for us. David Guzik said about this, what Jesus described as a good shepherd is actually a very remarkable shepherd. Shepherds may take risks for the safety of the sheep, but it is probably rare to find one who would willingly die for the sheep. So in this way, Jesus stands alone above all of the other admirable, real-life heroes we can think of. He didn't merely risk his life for us. He came to give it up. He came here to lay his life down so that we could have life to the full, life no longer separated from him by our sin. He wanted to give us eternal life. And so that's what separates a good shepherd, who David is a good shepherd, from the good shepherd, which is what Jesus is. You know, throughout the history of Israel, countless sheep, lambs, had been sacrificed, slain, to pay for the sins of the shepherds who owned them. You think about that. The sheep were always the ones doing the dying for the shepherd so that his sins could be paid for. But Jesus turned that all upside down and took the place of the sheep as the shepherd and died for us. 
it's an amazing reversal of roles that only he could do because only he could live a perfect life and only he could be a pure spotless lamb, a pure sacrifice for us. Only he could be both the shepherd and the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Now in verse 12, Jesus contrasts the good shepherd and the hired hand. He says, the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. I won't get too far into who the hired hands are. Like I said, we could cover all kinds of things, but I'm not going to talk about that today. What I want to talk about is that what Jesus is saying tells us that the sheep are his. He's not a hired hand. He owns the sheep. He's invested in the sheep in a way that the hired hand is not. They're his. And the manner in which he purchased the sheep to make them his is by laying down his life. That's how the sheep became his, that he laid down his life for them and spent his own blood to purchase them. So we've been purchased at an amazingly expensive price as his sheep, and he freely paid that price for us. The hired hand cares nothing for the sheep, Jesus says, but he, on the other hand, cares more for us than we can ever fully comprehend. Now, Charles Spurgeon, on our status as his sheep, said this, How came the saints to be Christ's? They are His, first of all, because He chose them. Ere the worlds were made, out of the rest rest of mankind He selected them. And then He went on to say, they were also a gift from the Father to Jesus. The Father gave them to Jesus, and Jesus said that on multiple occasions. And lastly, Spurgeon said, they are His furthermore, because in addition to His choice and the gift, He has bought them with a price. They had sold themselves for naught, But he has redeemed them, not with corruptible things as with silver and gold, but with his precious blood. And so for all of these reasons, we are his sheep. He chose us, the Father gave them to him, and he bought us as well. He's deeply invested in us as his sheep because he paid such a high price for us. Now, when you pay a high price for something, you're far more likely to take care of it and protect it than if you received it for nothing, right? My son just ordered a laptop with the money that he earned at his job, and it hasn't come in the mail yet, but I venture to say that when it does, he is going to take more care of that laptop than of the laptop the school department gave him, I'm guessing. And he's right now thinking that, (laughs) well, of course I am. That laptop I bought is way cooler. But the point still stands. Its value comes from the fact that he paid a price for it. And there are certainly things we value that we didn't pay anything for still, but, but paying something gives value to things. So Jesus paid for us. He assigned the highest price possible to us and paid it willingly. Another quote from Spurgeon, In the Latin tongue, the word for money is akin to the word for sheep. Because to many of the first Romans, wool was their wealth, and their fortunes lay in their flocks. The Lord Jesus is our shepherd, we are his wealth. So you've heard that time is money, right? Well, before there was time is money, there was wool is money. Now, there are many unflattering characteristics that we share with sheep that I've heard Pastor Rich and others talk about. We're stupid, we're foolish. We're difficult, we're prone to wander, we're pretty helpless, and there's more. 
But add to all of those undesirable qualities that we share with sheep, one good one. We are valuable. We're even precious to our shepherd. Now, why are we so valuable to him? You know, unlike a sheep, like this one, we're not going to generate any income. We can't be traded for goods and services. Wool can't, our wool can't be made into clothes. Uh, we're not in any way particularly useful to God as a sheep is to a shepherd, uh, as if he needed anything from us. But the one word answer to this question of why are we so valuable is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And about this most well-known of verses in the Bible, we could also say that Jesus so loved the world that he was willing to be given for it. In uh, Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us in verses 6 and 7, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do we need any further evidence of God's love for us? He died while we were still his enemies, while we were still in rebellion against him. He died knowing every sin we would ever commit and everything we had ever done already. He died knowing that even after he saved us, we would still fall and make mistakes and sin again. But he died despite all of that because of his amazing love and amazing grace. Now, if we need any convincing that that this didn't just happen to Jesus, but that it was his choice, let's look at his words. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. You know, when I was a boy uh, going to Catholic church, we would read every year leading up to Easter about the time before Jesus' death and resurrection. And every year I remember sitting there and wishing for a different ending. I didn't want Jesus to die. I thought it was so unfair that he would die for something he hadn't done. I wished that he could get away. I wished that Peter and the others had fought their way out of the garden like they originally planned to, even. But Jesus always died. And I had been taught that Jesus died so that I could be forgiven of my sins, but I didn't really fully comprehend that he was there by his own choice. And that was his plan all along. And how much I needed that for him to die for me. Because otherwise I'd have to die for myself. I didn't take into account that he was there willingly. He stayed and allowed himself to be beaten, spit on, whipped, crowned with thorns, forced to drag the cross up the hill on his back, to be nailed to it, lifted up, have a spear thrust into his side and to give his last breath and experience that much pain and suffering because it was all worth it to him to redeem us and to keep us from facing eternal separation from him. Now, you've maybe heard this before, but it's certainly worth repeating. It wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. It was his love for you and me. We were utterly incapable of any righteousness of our own. 
So he died so that we could have his. We were doomed to spend eternity apart from him because of our sin, so he paid the price so that we didn't have to with his blood. And now we can spend eternity with him. You know, we define grace as unmerited favor. And here we just see this amazing grace that he, that he cared so much for us despite our not being worth it at all. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. So what is our response to this kind of love? This ultimate sacrifice that he made for us. Well, of course, the first thing that many of us in this room have done is to respond to what he's done for us, to give our lives to him, to believe in what he's done on the cross and receive salvation. It's that very fact that he gave his life for us that gives us a chance to be born again. And so we've done that. If, we've, if we're a believer in Jesus, if we've put our faith and trust in him, we've received that already. Step one's complete. If you haven't, I'm going to give you a chance at the end uh, before we uh, have communion to do just that. And I would say it's the most important thing any of us could ever do, and it's something we don't do at all. We receive it. Jesus did it. But receiving that is the most important step we, any of us could take in our lives, to put our trust in Him. With that done, though, what else can we do? 1 John 3.16, which is the other John 3.16, tells us this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay, our lives, lay down our lives for our brothers. Sisters also apply. So God's plan for us is that we become more and more like Jesus after we put our trust and faith in him. And he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And by complete it, it means make us more and more like Jesus until, until we're with him in heaven. But how can we be like Jesus in this case? I already talked at length about how it doesn't really come up that often that we have a chance to lay down our life for somebody else, right? How can we be more like Jesus in this way? I work in a cubicle, so, you know, life-threatening situations don't really come up that much. Unless I get a police scanner and start trying to beat the fire department and the police to emergency scenes, there's not going to be that many life-threatening situations that I find myself in. Um, it's just a fact. And even that, again, it's a risk, not, not a laying down of the life, right? So also in this country, we're free to worship Jesus, and we're free to gather in his name, and we're free to teach his word, and I'm thankful for that. But in other places in the world, that does happen, that people have to lay down their lives for their faith in Jesus. It's happening right now. So if we're not called to that, because we don't live in a place where that happens, and we don't find ourselves in these life-threatening situations where we could trade our life for someone else's, what does that mean for us? What does it mean to lay down our lives? There are other ways to do in our lives what Jesus did for us in a small way. There are little things that we can do that nevertheless take effort. We can, first of all, spend time with God. We can read our Bibles at home and pray. I mean, if the only response we have to what Jesus has done for us is to come here once a week on Sunday morning, then that's a pretty sorry thank you for everything he's done for us, I'm sorry to say. Um, 
I'm guilty of it too. It's sometimes hard to, to stay in the rhythm of reading your Bible every day, but when we do, we're laying down that time and giving it to Him. He laid His whole life down for us. Can we lay down a few minutes every day for Him? That's just one thing. In that time, we're, we're laying down a small part of our life and giving it back to Him. When we give our time and our energy to serving Him in any way, we're laying down our lives. You know, when we make choices to put others and their needs ahead of ourselves, we're laying down our lives for them. And when we come here and we do something, when we complete some chore in this building or we uh, encourage each other, take the time to pray for someone, we're laying down our lives at that point too. We're putting, serving the Lord and putting others ahead of ourselves. And in those small ways, that adds up to laying down our life for Jesus. Rather than physically dying, we're called to die to self. Instead of living for ourselves, in other words, we're living for Jesus. And we're all called to serve Him in some way. Maybe you don't know what yours is yet. You can just ask Him. Ask Him to show it to you. Ask Him to show you what you should be doing for Him. And His Holy Spirit will reveal it to you eventually. It's probably not teaching on time change Sundays, though. That's mine. <laughs> God may want to send you out as a missionary. You know, I'm constantly impressed by those who have so completely given up their time, their life, their comfort to go wherever God sends them and tell others about Jesus. Sometimes those people who go out as missionaries do end up giving their lives for Him. I think of the five missionaries who were killed in Ecuador in the 1950s while trying to evangelize to a tribe in the rainforest. Maybe you've heard the story. Among them was Jim Elliott. He wrote in his journal beforehand about the idea of giving his life to serve Jesus. He wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And you might be familiar with the story already. There have been a couple movies made about this. But it continues to amaze me what God did after Jim Elliott and his fellow missionaries did and gave up their lives. Jim's wife, Elizabeth, and another wife of, of the missionaries stayed in Ecuador and continued to try and witness to the people that had killed their husbands. At one point, they even lived among them. And many of the people eventually gave their lives to Jesus and the violent culture of their village was transformed completely. And that just blows my mind. Because these men were willing to lay their lives down for Jesus. And while they gave their lives and died for it, their wives continued on what they had started, and God did a great work there. Both the men who were killed and their wives who stayed laid down their lives in different ways. But God used both to save people. And when we're willing to do the same, to lay down our lives however God sees fit to use them, then He will. He'll do amazing things. You know, perhaps our greatest example in the Bible of a man following Jesus' example is Paul. Though well aware years in advance that one day he would die for his faith, Paul continued on spending every second and every ounce of his energy to tell other people about Jesus. 
He didn't try and get away from the fact that he was going to die for Jesus someday. He just kept serving. In Philippians 1, 20-21, he said, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. While he was alive, for as long as it lasted, he would be serving Jesus. And when he died, it would be gain. May we do the same. May we spend all of our time and energy serving him in some way. Now, as Jesus willingly laid down his life for us, let's lay our lives before him, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And the New King James Version ends this with, this is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable that we respond in this way to what Jesus willingly did for us. Paul also tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now that price, his own life, his precious blood, was poured out for your sin and for mine. If he laid his life down for me, I want to lay mine down for him so that he can use it however he sees fit. Now we're going to have communion in a minute and remember again just what Jesus has done for us. But before we do, let's pray. Lord, we do just thank you so much for what you've done for us. We thank you that you are willing to lay down your life. That that was your plan from before the earth was made, that you would one day lay down your life for us. We thank you so much, Lord. We can't say thank you enough. We, we want to serve you, Lord. We want to lay our lives before you in response to what you've done. And we pray, Lord, you would help us to do that by your Holy Spirit, that you would show us ways to die to self and live for you each day. We thank you, Lord. And for I pray, Lord, for anyone here who hasn't already received what you've done for them, receive the salvation you offer. I pray that they would do so today. And if that's you, you can do so right now by just praying along with me. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I need a Savior. And I know that you died to be my Savior. And I know that you rose again to show that the price was paid. And I just thank you for laying your life down for me and I, I want to live my life for you from now on. If that's you then now's when you've been saved. Now is when you've received that gift from Jesus. And now is when you can start serving him. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you so much. And we pray, Lord, that uh, as we celebrate communion here, Lord, that you would just help us to continue to think of what you've done for us and to lead thankful lives in service to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So Chris is going to come up and play some music while the ushers pass out communion. Just the uh, usual reminders about communion. Communion is for believers, for people who have given their lives to Jesus. Uh, if Scripture warns against taking communion in an unworthy fashion, so if you haven't, if you don't believe in Jesus, please just uh, don't. Uh, 
And if uh, there are kids in here, parents, you can decide whether your kids understand that and are, are ready to partake. But let's uh, take a few minutes to just reflect and, and examine ourselves as God tells us to before we celebrate together.